Welcome to the Gospel Addict Podcast. I'm Greg Bryan. And I'm Jim Resky. We're gospel addicts because we believe the gospel of Jesus isn't just good news, it's the best news ever. We're addicted to the gospel because it doesn't just start us out in the Christian life, it is the Christian life. Join us as we look at the Bible through the lens of the gospel. Thanks so much for listening. You're listening to another episode of the Gospel Addict Podcast. Tonight, Jim and I are going to be discussing the book of Judges, and maybe if we have time, the book of Ruth, and just discussing some big themes that we see in that book. Obviously, if we just read the book, it would probably take us the whole time of the podcast. We're not going to do that. Jim, how are you feeling about uh, tonight's podcast? Well, it's great to be with you, Greg, and it's great to be uh, doing the podcast together. I'm uh, I'm kind of excited about it. I've um, I haven't read Judges in a long time. I did, you know, go through it a little bit for the study. Full disclosure, I didn't actually I was going through it again yesterday. I didn't finish it. I got to Samson and kind of petered out, so I ran out of time. So I haven't read, did not finish reading the whole book yesterday. Um, just in anticipation of the podcast, but reintroducing myself to it, looking at some commentaries, raised some real questions for me, and I want to. I want to I want to hash them out with you. This is going to be a little bit like our old late night conversations that started the whole podcast, right? To like trying to figure it out. Good. And so we should just put a big disclaimer that we're not like trying to be, you know, uh, dogmatic about some of the things we share. We're willing to be wrong, um, especially because we're just um, we, we're not doing a deep dive necessarily of of judges tonight, right? Um, so. We could be wrong on some of our conclusions and we were, you know, when we teach, when Jim has the opportunity to teach on judges, he might say something different than his first uh, observations. So, Jim, let's talk about the authorship of judges. Um, what, what do you, what do you, do you have a, a gut feeling on who, who wrote the book of Judges? No, and sometimes the whole authorship thing, people really get bunched up about it and debate about it and think about it with some of the, I know with some of the New Testament books, we will go back and forth with, did Paul write Hebrews? Did he or didn't he? Was it someone else? And it makes it, I don't, you know, for me, it's like, it doesn't make that big of a difference. You know, I think that the, the, the um, a lot of people think Samuel wrote the book of Judges. And uh, it seems to be like towards the end of the time of the Judges, which spanned like, from what I saw, like 350 to 400 years. Um, the time period that the book of Judges covers. And Samuel, I think, is born towards the latter part of that. And uh, he uh, supposedly is the author of the book of Judges, but it's not entirely entirely clear. Okay. But so um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start us off. Uh, you know, uh, we talked about Joshua last week. And one of the, the big themes I see here is how important leaders are. Um, I think this is one of the themes we see in judges that we need leaders, um, because one of the mistakes I think Joshua made is he didn't raise up someone to take, uh, the baton, the, the leadership baton, hmm. you know, Moses kind of, um, um, Moses clearly commissions Joshua to take over for right. him. But Joshua didn't commission anybody to take over for him. And then we end up in the book of Judges. And we kind of see this cycle that it just the same cycle occurs over and over and over again. 
Well, hold on. Before you get to the cycle, before you, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, go for it. No, it's fine. So do you think, though, that was part of Joshua's plan because he came into the land of Canaan and Joshua conquers the land of Canaan? And, you know, despite all those those verses that I think you're going to talk about that sound genocidal, where he wiped out everybody and there was no one living anymore. Turns out there were lots and lots and lots of people still living in the land of Canaan because you get to the time of Judges and there's that's the issue. They're still fighting each other and they're still learning to live with the Canaanites and so there's still plenty of people left over. But the um but when Joshua came in, it was like, hey, I'm gonna come in and conquer the land in general. But then each of you, I'm gonna divide up the land. You go here, you go there. You kind of divided up the whole uh, the whole area by family, by tribe. And then they were supposed to kind of to continue the work, right? To live in the promised land. But but it was a distributed model. It wasn't all centralized like under Joshua. So I'm just responding to your thought of like he didn't raise anybody else up to be the one central strong leader, but maybe that was a plan. Like, no, I'm not, I want each of you to be running your own little place in your own little geography and not always come back to the one central leader. You know, maybe that wasn't Joshua's intent ever to do that. So now you go and yeah, run your that's life. an interesting, that's an interesting thought. And perhaps you're right. But then I would say, if that's true, it would seem to me like he would want to identify who the leaders of those different places would be. Oh, uh, yeah. And then kind of come alongside them and mentor them. Right. Just so like Jesus point. did with the disciples, and then the yeah. disciples spread across all the world and took the the good news of the gospel, you know, to different parts of the world. Yeah. Yeah. Very, yeah. Really good point. Like, well, why not raise up 12 leaders when Jesus raised up 12 disciples, you know, to be the leaders of those 12 tribes? And, um, yeah, 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 really, really fair point. But so. let's just um, briefly mention just there's lots of different ways you can describe the cycles, the cycle that occurs in Judges repeatedly. It's sort of like, first of all, Israel commits sin. And then God's God allows Israel to be oppressed. Then Israel repents and cries out to God. Then God sends a judge to deliver Israel. And then Israel is faithful while that judge lives. And then the judge dies, and then Israel commits sin, and the cycle goes on and on. There's there's other ways. I don't know. Did you find any other ways that people describe the these cycles? I, I did. I didn't jot them down for the podcast, but as Christians like to do, there's like I find like three or four different ways they all they use alliteration. So there's three different A's or three different P's. Or five different words that describe the cycle. I have one. I have one that's like that. Oh, hit me. Okay. Rejection. Yes. Israel rejects God and turns to serve false gods. Repentance. Israel repents and cries out to God for mercy. Rescue. Yes. God raises up a judge to, to rescue Israel from her enemies. And then return. The judge dies and Israel returns to her idolatry. So there's the four R's. The four R's. It's the little cycle circle. So, you know, the you know, first was seeing that is when you start studying judges, you see a lot of these cycles, because that is the big theme of the book, right? These cycles of sin. It's um uh it made me think of what's the reference, Craig? I should know the reference. Um, but the live, word of God is living and breathing, um, sharper than any two-edged sword, and profitable for reproof, correction. Training in righteousness, Training righteousness, so that the man of God may be fully equipped for every good work. Yes, Second like Timothy, Timothy three sixteen. Yes, Second Timothy three sixteen. Well, we did it together. There you go. 
Um, but I left one out. There's like four things in there for correction, reproof, for like, I should get that. I should, before I do, do that extra teaching, I'll get those down because it's the same idea of you do a cycle, right? You get corrected, you get reproved, and, and you get uh, discipline, and then you get training in righteousness. Um, it's a, the idea of a, the cycle in your own Christian life. When you fall, when you go into sin, that verse talks about the full cycle. Um, if I uh, had thought of it, I would have looked it up before the podcast tonight. Let me see if I can get well, it. Well, it's, re- it's teaching rebuking correcting and training in righteousness teaching rebuking correcting training righteousness. there it is so and I, i've seen that depicted as a little like this little circle you get off track you get teaching then you get rebuke and you're off track correction you get back on track and training righteousness to stay on track okay like tips for christian living yeah well so these cycles kind of recur you know throughout the book of judges and there's some really fascinating stories some stories that are almost hard to believe like they're just crazy yeah. stories um but well, there are so for for readers who haven't listened to it or re- read it in a while i would say you know it, it's uh it's exciting reading it's like um it would i surprised it has been made into an action movie because there's um there's 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 too much blood and guts and gore um and there's plenty of that but there's tons of action right so there and, and fascinating stories uh that um, you're right, kind of are hard to believe. And they're all associated with these different judges. Um, By the way, the cycles that uh, you mentioned, I just found some more um, alliteration ones. There's oh, there's uh, apathy, apostasy, affliction, and then answered prayer. There's disobedience, desperation, and then deliverance. Nice. There's rest, rebellion, retribution repentance and restoration so there's lots of different ways to describe these cycles i want one that spells out romans <laughs> <laughs> it's always good if it spells out romans r-o-m-a there's rest and then i don't know yeah or how about just judges well that'd be fine i'll take that just spell you know. out judges there's you know but good luck with that good luck with yeah. that we're not gonna we're not gonna go there tonight so you said you wanted you wanted to talk about a unique way of looking at the book of judges yeah so here's yeah i'll get right into it um um so look so here's the historical context background of the book i'm trying to think of putting this in the context of the old testament so you have um the the, the exodus from egypt uh they wander around the desert desert for 40 years um moses can't go into the land of canaan but and uh but they when in deuteronomy moses summarizes the uh, Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy 5. And he says, this is how he re, you know, re, re-summarizes the Ten Commandments. And it's a great intro where he says, look, this is uh, this is the way it worked. God says, I am the Lord your God who saved you by the power of the, my, my outstretched arm. Now you should have no other gods before me. And it's such a great, great depiction of the whole concept of sequence, which we've talked about before. It's one of the S's, the five S's of the, of the gospel. So this sequence of the gospel, you, I... I it's uh, it's not oh I obey then from accepted it's I'm accepted therefore I obey and God says I saved you and then I gave you the Ten Commandments I could have given you the Ten Commandments at the beginning of captivity watch you for four hundred years watch see how it goes and maybe I'll deliver you from Egypt maybe I won't if you're obedient God says nope I didn't do that I saved you and now here's what I want you to do and then Deuteronomy concludes um, or Moses is basically saying make you know. Choose whom you're going to serve. You know, the, um, 
and there's some great verses that I should pluck out that kind of talk about this. It was like, you know, very clearly, like, this is the choice before you. Choose to stay whom you serve. And then you get to Joshua, you're, the book you're going to talk about at our study next week, which is such a happy book, right? Joshua's such a great hero, and um, he's it's all positive, and he doesn't he's, he's a great leader. He doesn't have he doesn't have a fall from grace. Uh, but at the end of that book too, he's saying, "Look, this is the choice. Just choose this day whom you'll serve." And that's the famous verse. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will right? serve the Lord. Right. But it's very clear, like you know, Moses is saying this, and Joshua, who he raised up, is right the same. Uh, same kind of challenge. Look, make good choices. This is very clear, black and white. Just choose good the Lord and follow him and good things will happen. And uh, and if you don't, uh, if you choose evil, if you fall away, bad things will happen. And choose wisely, right? Because that's kind of the way this works. And then you get to judges and they just don't do it. They don't choose wisely. They're they're a mess. And then look, they, and they, it's the cycle. So they do it for a little while, and then they fall away. And then bad things happen to them, kind of like what Moses and Joshua were saying, bad things are happening to you. And then you, um, then they go, oh, we need a, we need a, someone to come and rescue us. And then and God, ra- and they, they, God raises up a judge and the judge comes and conquers their enemies. And then they get rest to the, the, the word is rest. Right. And then they then they do the same thing again. That's the cycle. And I, I think there are 12 judges, and some of them are minor judges that aren't really talked about, like the cycle isn't there so much, but I think for like five or six of them, it's the same cycle again and again and again. And so I guess this is the part I'm trying to think about, Greg. Like you look at that and you say, if the if the experience of the nation of Israel is 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 sometimes seen as a metaphor for our Christian life, right? Like you know, what they went through and how God chose them, redeemed them. We, we take personal lessons from that and say, you know, the way God tr- tr- dealt with them, what kind of lesson can I take away from this? And, and I guess the question I'm thinking of is what kind of lessons then we, for Christian living, do we take away from the book of Judges? Yeah. You could look and say, what do I, okay, this is a hopeless, this is a horrible cycle. It's a, a, a roller coaster is another metaphor. You could say there's a roller coaster. Sometimes they obeyed then they fell away. They were sorry. They got back on track. And they fell away. They were sorry. They got back on track. And I think a lot of Christians, that's their experience to say, it's like a roller coaster. I sin. I say I won't do it again. And I do it again. And I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. And I, I commit this time. I repent. I'm not going to do it. And they do it again. And so that kind of roller coaster in your personal life, if you're looking at the nation of Israel, the way God dealt with them, what are the lessons from the book of Judges? Mm. And... Um, yeah, what do you take away? And and I and this is why I just want to talk it through with you out loud, Greg, because I think that I've I've heard some people before. I remember early on, I remember in college someone was talking about this. They said the problem with the people is that they never did get rid of all the false gods in the land, like the Baals in the land. They kind of made peace with them and they didn't really eradicate them from the land. And that is a metaphor for the idols in your life and the pet sins you have that you make peace with and you don't really eradicate it from your life. And so you've kind of come to terms with it and you learn to live with it just the way they learned to live with the Canaanites and the Baals and the other gods and, and it kind of corrupted them and polluted them. That's the same thing's going to happen to you unless you eradicate those sins from your life. It's well, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, no, I think, I think you're onto something. I think that there's definitely, uh, I think he got some really, really good uh, points there. 
but I'm not sure. I, here's here's the problem. I'm not sure I am. So I'm not sure if that's the right way to look at it. This is what I'm really wrestling with, because I think about it. Um, you know the the um, the illustration we talk about, and if our listeners have been listening for a while, you know what the heroes talk about: single line and double line, right? The single line approach to the Christian life is when you say Jesus starts him in the Christian life. Oh, I'm sorry. It's a it's a quick it's a graph where holiness is the vertical axis and time is the horizontal axis, and Jesus starts you off in the bottom left corner, but then. The rest is a diagonal line. So all your sanctification, your Christian life is your hard work and effort. And we say it again and again. That's the whole point of this podcast. The gospel is not the ABCs of the Christian life to start you off. It's the A to Z, right? Yeah. So when I think about that way of thinking of the book of Judges, like what are the lessons? The lessons are they were bad. They, They were messed up. They made bad choices. So the lesson for you is don't. Do what they did. Yeah. Don't mess up. Okay. Maybe, so that they didn't have the strength of them to do it. But you, if you try harder, you can make good choices in a okay. rap life. And that sounds like a, a complete single line interpretation to me. It it does. It does. So let me let me uh just say, um, because I, I thought about this, like what are some of the lessons we learned? Um, in the book of Judges. And let me just share five of them and see okay. how they relate to what we're talking about. Okay. And the first one relates, I think, directly to what you're talking about. Judges teaches us the importance of faithfulness. Yes. You need to be faithfulness, faithful. being right. faithful. Um, because they kept experiencing this cycle of disobedience, oppression, repentance, and deliverance. When they were faithful to God, they would experience God's blessing and victory. Now there's a little right. danger there, right? Because then um, your whole motive for being faithful could be just to, just to be, to receive God's blessing. But there is something to say about that. Like, you know, um, when we're faithful, um, you know, we do kind of um, experience, um, you know, peace, we experience the fruits of the spirit. Um, so the importance of faithfulness. Secondly, the dangers of moral relativism, mm -hmm. which is, I think, what you're another thing that you said, because the book of Judges contains so many stories of moral decay and spiritual right. decline among the Israelites. When the people began to do what was right in their own eyes, they drifted away from God and experienced negative consequences for their actions. So moral relativism is dangerous. Right. So and that's the that's and actually like the and when I think of moral relativism, I think a lot of the single line too. Oh really? Yeah, because I how many people um are on that single line and they say something to the extent of like, you know, um I might drink a little bit too much alcohol here and there and get get drunk now and then but at least i'm not a drug addict right i'm not addicted to opioids yeah. you know so they again they're so they're, they're they're basically putting themselves above somebody else um oh that yeah no i get it that, I, I may i may i may use drugs they're relativizing their really. sin yeah you're right Rel yes because you're on the but that's a way to say i am it's still important to be on the single line i'm just by doing that, I'm saying I, I I may be a five, but I'm better than the threes and fours. Right, right. Relative to other people's performance, but 
you're still in the construct and the paradigm of the single line that sing the single line performance is what matters exactly and i think being on the single line is the danger is the dangerous thing oh well, like you say look the problem is you got to stop your moral relativism greg you got to realize you you're you're you got to stop belittling your sin and start performing better for jesus right you got to increase your spiritual performance you're you can't say that being a five is okay because there are threes and fours in the world. You got to be a six and seven. Come on, get going. Right, and that's but this is what this ties in with exactly what you've been mentioned. What you mentioned before is the idea of just like um, just telling people stop doing that. Stop you it. Know, you make better be choices. Make better choices. Be, yeah, make better choices. On the surface, it seems like yeah, that's what the Book of Judges is teaching. But there's a danger in teaching just stop doing that. You know, yeah. because then you're putting people, you know, you're throwing them right on that single line. You know, exactly. And that's kind of what I'm really wrestling and with. You're, and you're leaving out the gospel. So the third lesson that I see is the need for leadership. Yeah. The Israelites were without a strong leader. I mean, look at verses one and two. It says, after the death of Joshua, the people of Israel inquired of the Lord, which is good. And that, but what do they inquire about? They say, who shall go up first for us against the Canaanites to fight with against them? They're, it's like they're looking for another leader. Yeah. They're looking for who's going to lead us now. And um, maybe Joshua thought that they were strong enough to just depend on the Lord to be their leader. Well, that was the idea, right? God was their king. They had judges, but not a king because God was supposed to be their king. And this is why that I think maybe like people think it was written by Samuel because he talks about. They think it was written in the time of the kings because he says at that time there was no king and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. But at that time there was no king, you know, kind of referring to with a writer saying now there is a king, but that time there was no king. That was kind of the little bit of a side way of saying that was the problem. There was no king. You know, to, right. So. so I think the big question for us, um, setting aside the, the need for leadership right now, um, that principle is how do we see the gospel in the book of Judges? Well, that's exactly what I'm getting at. Can I look at this and I say, if I, I, I read a whole thing as tips and tricks, you should, in other words, the whole point, it's a warning for us. Don't be bad like they were. They were bad. Yeah. <laughs> bad decisions. Don't be bad. You could do better. Right. I mean, they were the chosen people of God. God to deliver them with his hand. God appointed leaders like Moses and Joshua, and yet you will do better. They failed, but where they failed, you will rise up. You remember your first point, you didn't get to numbers three and four or, or four and five, but your first point, they were faith, faithless. You need faith. And you could say, look, in the period of your life in which you really follow your obedience, you follow Christian principles, your life goes better. And I think that, by the way, that's, I think it's generally true. So if you say, you know, if I just go through my life and I don't, you know, um, just, I don't violate God's law. Generally, generally, I live according to Christian principles. Uh, life generally goes better for you, Right. But uh, isn't it, it doesn't this tie into the whole idea that the Christian life is impossible to live without Christ? That the only way I can be the only way I can be faithful, if you if you looked at my life, Jim, and you said, Man, Greg, you are like a faithful man of God, that I have to I have to like immediately say that's only <laughs> that's that's only because of the grace of God. That's yeah. I, like I don't have it in and of myself. Like it's not about my faithfulness. He, it was, it, it's God, it's God, you know, he who began a good work in me. Yeah. Will carry it on to completion. It's, it's God working in and through me. It's only by his grace. 
Well, yes, because I'm seeing things on the outside. I see your dotted line to kind of a, a, another hint to the illustration we always talk about. But I see the ex uh, externality of your life, but I don't see your heart. So if you say that, I mean, the answer, like if you said that to me, I said, Jim, I see you these things. I'd say, look, first of all, you don't know how messed up my heart is. You don't know how absolutely filled with sin my heart is. And what you might see on the outside, if there is anything at all that looks any way decent, that's God's grace completely, right? That's not me. But they, to bring it back to judges, if I say the lesson here is they were faithless, but you, where, where they failed, you should rise up and be faithful. I feel like it, it's almost like saying you have no idea how high the God's standard really is. You have no idea what, what faithfulness meant. I mean, one of the reasons I think getting into this, and I might do this when I talk on this, is the kind of military history part of it. Going in the land and conquering everything was really hard. You start going and like look at the maps and the towns. There were lots and lots and lots of towns. It was, it was a very large geography. Yes. And they had they did not have metallurgy. They had like a couple swords among them. Even the time of like generations later when David was fighting, like Saul had armor, but nobody else did. And they go to the land of the Canaanites. Down the Canaanites, when you read in Judges, they had already figured out ironworks. And I mean, they had swords and metals. <laughs> and, you know, this is why they go attack Jericho. They've got pots and torches. And, and there's one thing that judges all these heroic stories where someone kills all these uh, uh, people with a, a, a goat, um, the thing you prod a goat with. Ox goad. Ox, oh, the, yes, ox goad. It's not a goat. You goad ox, ox goad. It's a farm implement. And so they probably had one metal implement that they could buy made of iron from the Canaanites. But the Canaanites were way, way better equipped. So in other words, like, the standard that God was saying, I want you to go there and really fight all these people, right? There's a you reason know. why they get back to like, you know, maybe they're not that bad. Maybe I can make a peace treaty. Maybe I can learn to live with them. And they did defeat some. They said, well, it's just, you know, they'll be, they'll be forced labor. I mean, I'll get some benefit. I don't need to, I don't know, wipe everybody out. I mean, I'll kind of, there's a reason why they made terms with it. It was super hard. I think the idea of like saying, look, where they were completely faith, faithless, you, the lesson here is you be faithful. I think you're saying, do you have any idea what it really means to really be faithful in the Christian life? Yeah. You take so, a line of holiness and you brought it way down and made it achievable. Yeah. So, you know, I've talked about the importance of faithfulness, the dangers of moral relativism, the need for leadership. The fourth one is the power of prayer and repentance. Well, that sounds pretty good. How can you argue with that? You know, and and how about how about you know that Keller article? All life is repentance. All yeah, absolutely. And the, the this is so maybe judges is 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 a picture of the Christian life that we will go through this cycle um, because we live in this fallen world and we have you know the. The three enemies of the Christian, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Right. And so it's inevitable. We can't be completely faithful to God. Right. And that's maybe that, why we need the power of prayer and repentance. Right. Um, right. I think, I think, so I think part of it is God says, I saved you. I love you. I chose you. I tell you, make good choices. I give you this command from both Moses and Joshua, make good choices. And then you don't. Your life is a roller coaster. It's just like when you come to Christ. You're like, oh, I'm going to follow Jesus. It's all going to change. It's everything. I'll never sin again. <laughs> and, right. you, and your life isn't that way. And in fact, what the progression is you become more and more aware of how sinful your heart really is. And your life is that circular. Your life looks just like judges. It's this up and down circular thing. I want to try and then I don't. I, I commit myself to Lord again. And then I backslide again. I come back. 
For most Christians, that's what their life looks like. And I think one of the points of judges is God stays with them. And, and then it, it, God doesn't like wipe them out. It's like, yeah, you, you do this. And I you keep coming back to me and you repent. And then you, the, the, the um, raising up is a big theme. He raises up another judge to save them. And then they backslide again. But this is, he's, they're still his chosen people all the way through this, right? God doesn't, God doesn't say, look, I've had it with you guys. You know, I've, I've given you plenty of chances and, yeah. we're, you know, we're just done here. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let them, all your enemies just overwhelm you and wipe you out, wipe you out. So I wonder if there's a way to tie in the, you know, Jerry Bridges coined, I think he coined the term, preach the gospel to yourself every day. How, you know, and that's, this is what this podcast is about, that Christians need the gospel just as much as non-Christians. Oh, yeah. I wonder if that pull that out of this book that this just the book of judges teaches us how we how much we need the gospel and just like the israelites they they needed to keep coming back to they were doing what was right in their own eyes right they they took their eyes off christ they took their eyes off god they fell into that cycle and through prayer and repentance they were brought back to god and then god rescued them and just how, like, you know, Jesus saves us in many different ways. He he saves us. He provided our salvation, which is the ultimate salvation, the ultimate way he saves us, you know, by right. dying the death that we deserve to die for our sins on the cross. But then doesn't he save us all the time? Yeah. In everyday life. I mean, that first by which the gospel by which we are being saved. Yeah, right. like, yeah, continuous. But I think that's the continual working of the gospel in your life, right? And the other principle, the final principle that I saw or lesson I see in the book of Judges is the importance of community. Is that number five on the list? Yeah, that's number five. The Israelites often work together as a community to overcome their enemies and achieve their goals. We're stronger together than we are alone. Hmm. So we need we need each other. Yeah. You know, um, now I don't know that that theme is like in every verse of the book of, of judges. Cause there is, you know, you mentioned that one guy who killed 500 people with an ox code. That's a, that's a one man show there. That but, was but one... Places <laughs> where they, they said, please send a message to another tribe. Please come help me. So the tribes did kind of team up at different times, uh, a couple of different times in the book. Or we're fighting this battle and send a messenger over to this other tribe and they would come and help out. Yeah, so I think that the big question is that we how do we see Jesus or the gospel in the book of Judges? So I think the, the one way that I was seeing it, and this is fortunate because of our teaching schedules, that I'm teaching on Judges and Ruth. And I think that Judges says, you know, so Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy says, here's the law, J Joshua. Here's a great example for you in Joshua and a choice before you keep the law. Here's you messed up, trying, falling back, sliding, circle, 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 cycle, cycle, cycle. I'm trying. I can't. I try again. I fail. Back on your feet. Things are going well. Fail again. That's you. Book of Judges, if you're honest with yourself. And then Ruth comes along and says, even though you are like that, there's a Redeemer coming for you. There's someone who's going to save you coming from the line of Ruth. And that's the whole, because the book of Ruth is all about the kinsman redeemer. And then she's 
basically it's a story about uh, the birth of David's grandfather and how this is, and they, all, all these people from Ruth are all in the line of Christ. Hmm. So, so that's what I'm thinking about it now. And I want to put some more thought on that, put some more even meat on those bones and put that together. But it feels like, yeah, this is, you know, the, your Christian life, choose well, you're saved, you're saved in the proper sequence. He's already given you salvation. Now that you're saved, choose well, and you won't. And if you really thought about what it meant to choose well, that standard is way higher than you're capable of doing. And you and you're not, if you're honest, you're not living up to it. But there's a redeemer who did who did it all for you. And that's what Ruth is all about. Hmm. Yeah, that's good. It's coming together slowly, but that's the way I'm putting the pieces together. Um, have you ever have you thought about in Judges thirteen the similarities between Samson and Christ? No, no, no. Tell me about that. Um, well, they were both consecrated to God. Um. They were prophesied before birth. Um, you know, the angel prophesied that Samson would free Israel from the Philistines, um, Israel's enemy in Judges 13, 5. Mm -hmm. um, Samson and Jesus were led, uh, led Holy Spirit-powered lives. Um, they both gave away their strength. <laughs> How about that? I mean, Samson was like far from like a perfect Christ-like figure, right? Yeah. Um, both were betrayed. Samson right. was betrayed by the by Delilah, and Jesus was betrayed by Judas. Right. Both shook up a temple. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Remember? to speak. Yeah, Samson destroyed the Philistine temple. Jesus cleansed the temple in Jerusalem. Both offered themselves as living sacrifices to save others. Yeah, yeah. And they were both deliverers. Um, I don't know. Do you? I no, mean, I, I like that. I like that. Anything like that that says that where you they point to Christ. Because I think that I was going to do that with, you know, Ruth and Boaz, uh, types of Christ point to Christ. But the yeah, Samson does too. But even as you see that, yeah, so Samson early on, he like goes over to the um he goes over to sleep with a prostitute at one point, early in the story. And then we're then we could this the city gates were locked and so he couldn't get out. So he just rips the gates out and it's kind of part of his legend. I'm trying to find it now as we're talking. Anyway, it brings up an important point. Some of these people in judges, even the good judges that God raises up, like Gideon. Very flawed. In horrible ways. <laughs> Yeah. In deep, horrible ways. I mean, Gideon is like, oh, Gideon's the you know the, the great hero, and and he's referred back to as a hero, like Gideon, who's he's the deliverer of Israel. All he, he referred back to real positive terms, but he said to everybody after he won, like, get all the earrings because I guess the people they defeated had gold earrings. Melt them down. Right. He an idol. We're yeah. gonna worship this idol. <laughs> like, okay, that's really awful. <laughs> it's not. You don't find that in the stories about Moses or Joshua. These, but these a bunch of judges are like that. They did things like that. That's, that's so true. That's so true. And that ties in with one of the things we often say is that when we, a lot of times when we read the Bible, we look at these people as heroes, like Samson, right. what a hero. But they're very, Amplified. very, very flawed. Um, 
people. And um, so it's, it's obviously the Bible's not about, not a bunch of heroes. No, but, um, but God still used them and he's still, they're described as people God did use for what he, but, but then they, who's the one who does the uh, awful vow where he ends up sacrificing his daughter? Oh yeah. Jeff, is that Jephthah? I think yeah. it was Jephthah, one of them. Yes. But God didn't, God didn't ask for a vow where you had to do a child sacrifice. That was like a complete off the rails for him to do. And, um, but yet he was still the instrument that God used at that moment at that time to save his people and to deliver them out of whatever the peril they were in at the moment. It doesn't like, okay, not, not to take away from that. He, he accomplished that for the Lord and God was using him for that. But despite the, presence of sin is life maybe maybe there's a lesson there greg like you know if you wait for your to clean up your act before you want to be used in the lord you'll, you'll wait forever right god uses horribly flawed people to accomplish his purposes in this world yeah yeah well are there other places you see jesus in the book of judges well the same i had not seen the samson thing so i'm glad you brought that up that's interesting um no, I I I uh, I I was really reading Judges. Well, first of all, I was reading it and thinking about the things, lessons I'd heard about the tips and tricks, like don't be bad like these people, make better choices. Then I thought, wait, how's the gospel working here? And then I thought, it's not about um, our performance in contrast to the nation of Israel in the Book of Judges. It's this is a this is what happens to all of us in the Christian life. It's a roller coaster. It's cycles of victory and defeat and victory and defeat and then right. i was looking to ruth for like the uh the, the where jesus shows up but the redeemer shows up because of the whole kinsman redeemer story in ruth yeah you know let's let's talk about that there's there's some great comparisons between the book of judges and the book of ruth i don't know if okay. you came across i came across those. one list that did like compare yeah can... so so one uh like Judges is mainly a, uh, illustrates spiritual darkness, where in Ruth we see spiritual light. Um, Judges is a book of immor- immoral- immorality, where Ruth is about purity. Mm-hmm. Um, Judges is about pursuing idols who are not who are not God who are not gods, where. Um, Ruth is deciding for the one true God. Mm-hmm. Judges is about disloyalty, where Ruth is about devotion. You could say Judges is a book of lust, where Ruth is a book about love. Mm-hmm. One is about peace and one is about war. Ruth is about peace. Judges is about war. Yeah. I don't know. Have you seen this list? Yeah. Yeah, I, I did. And then uh, but you can keep going. Judges is about cruelty. Ruth is about kindness. It's really yeah. true. It's a, it's a real stark contrast. Judges uh-huh. is about disobedience that brings sorrow, where Ruth is about obedience that brings blessing. Um, in Judges, it's we see a desert of rebellion, where in Ruth we see an oasis of righteousness. And then finally... Judges, we see the faithlessness of the chosen people, where we see in Ruth the faithfulness of a Gentile alien. Yeah. 
Right. That's I mean that's pretty interesting. It's some pr- pretty interesting contra- contrast. And I guess the book of Ruth kind of a like historically appears right in the middle of the book of Judges like Oh, cr- does it really? logically? Well, cuz the first verse is like at the time of the judges or something like that, right? right yeah, there. I saw I saw a chart um I saw a chart that kind of places Ruth right in the middle of the book of Judges like as far as uh the timeline oh Time. yeah i saw that yeah right in the middle somehow the first verse of ruth says in the days when the judges ruled yeah so, so that's kind of so that's kind of cool um so in some ways so you know the story of ruth is a is a great picture of redemption yes it's only four chapters long, so it's an easy read. It right? is. It is. Um, there's a lot of com- little bit of a complicated story of family and back and forth. Um, Keller has a got just got a full, more full disclosure. Keller has a great sermon on this that's available at um, gospelinlife.com. Um, that talks about the story and bring and how the gospel comes through in the Book of Ruth. Yeah. So, what does he say about it? Well, first you got to get the basic bones of the story. Um, so, and it gets only four chapters, so our listeners can go out and read it in, you know, twenty minutes. But, um, but basically, uh, Naomi and her husband uh, Elimelech are in Bethlehem in in Israel, but there's a famine, so they leave. Let me see if I can recap or be, recap the story quickly here, Greg. It'll be a little test for me. It'll be good practice. But they leave, and then and they have two sons. And what's interesting, Keller points this out, is that the two sons basically have Canaanite names. So it's not like that. At least the father wasn't; they were following the Lord, you know. But um, they were kind of mixed in with the Canaanites. But the boys have Canaanite names. They go to Moab. So instead of saying where they're supposed to be and trusting the Lord to get them to the famine, they leave. They go to Moab. They leave their land. They had some land there. They, they sell it and get rid of it, and they leave and go to Moab. And then when they go to Moab, the two boys meet two local Moabite women. So, and they married them despite all the commands about don't intermarry other strangers and foreigners and the boys marry them anyway. And then the father dies and the two boys die. And all you have left is Naomi, the widow and the two uh, daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth. And so Naomi says, well, I'm going to go back to my people, my land and they first say, okay, we'll go with you. And she says, don't go with me. Your whole your life is here. Your family's here. Your, everybody, your, your culture. Don't You don't have to do this. Stay here. And Orpah, uh, they, they weep together. And then verse, I mean, chapter one, verse 14. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. So Orpah says, yep, okay, good idea. And she heads back home to other people. But Ruth says no. And that famous passage that you hear in weddings all the time, Right. Where you You're, go, I will go. Go ahead. Your God will be my God. Those are, yeah. That's what I remember of it. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, where you die, I will die. Well, here. Uh, where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more, all, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And Keller points out how most of the wedding passages, they print that in the bulletin. They don't print the death part. They'll leave that part out. They print the rest of it. 
But what he brought out, which I thought was interesting, he said, it, you can read this and say that, Naomi, that um, Ruth is saying to her mother-in-law Naomi, look, uh, I don't really know what your God, I'm not going to, I don't know what that's all about, but I'll just go with you to be close to you and help you out. Right. She uses the word Yahweh for God. So she uses the familiar kind of loving term for God. So it's indicative that she has adopted that belief. In other words, so she has seen the faith in her mother-in-law, Naomi, maybe not in the father-in-law who's already gone. Right. At least in Naomi, who has a faith. Uh, now she's got a conflicted faith. We'll see in a minute. But but Naomi definitely has a faith. So Ruth has seen enough faith in her and says, I want what you've got. And I already believe in your God. And so for Ruth, she is, she ends up saving Naomi in the end, right? So she is like a redeemer for Naomi. She's like redeemer number one. Um, because at the end of the book, they're saying to her, to Naomi, said, you're so lucky you have Ruth. She's better than seven sons. And seven sons is indicative of the perfect family. So you, mm. you know, when the family was everything in that culture and the perfect family was, was the top of everything. Yeah. Like Ruth is better for you than the perfect family. So she was your redeemer because she, at the end of the book, she saved you, Naomi. But she did so because uh, Ruth was saying, if I let you go back to your homeland and I stay here in Moab with my people, then I'm going to lose God. I'm going to, I'm not going to be in fellowship with anyone who believes in a living God. And so I've, I got to come with you because I believe in him already, which I thought was a fascinating little detail. Um, but then the guts of the story are that they go back and there's a law, I guess, in Leviticus 25, which I have to go back and read, that said um, to keep land intact, if you went into poverty or to sell your land or whatever, your family, to get the land back, first of all, there's a year of jubilee every 50 years would all reset. Yeah. And then, but you could also, you have a kinsman redeemer that said, if it's part of your family uh, wanted to, they could buy the land back. <clears throat> so I guess it's like having a call option on the land. So you say... I want to, you know, if you could find someone within your family to buy the land back, even if you had sold it because you needed the money, whatever, someone within the family can be a kinsman redeemer and buy the land back. And I don't think it specifies the price, though. So I think it's like, yeah, you could buy it, but you got to come up with the money. Mm. And you, you have the option. It's like, yep, that, they have to sell it back to you. But I think they can demand whatever price they wanted. That part, I, I got to research that in Leviticus 25, because I'm not sure about that. Oh, I'm not sure either. But the basic story is Ruth goes out and they, they get back there. They're dirt poor. They have nothing. So she's going to glean in the fields, which means she's going to basically find whatever grain she can to feed her and her mother-in-law, Naomi. And Boaz owns the field. And Boaz sees her and says, well, what is she doing here? She's obviously not an Israelite. She's a foreigner. She's a Moabite. And other people tell the story about, hey, she really helped out her mother-in-law. And he's really impressed by that. So he takes care of her and says, Tells his men, don't anyone touch her or harm her because she was really vulnerable. She's like a, a woman alone, a foreigner, like she could have been really hurt. And he tells all the men, stay away from her. And he gives great mercy and her, says, you can work with the working women, not just the threshers, but the poor, but the working women, and get this uh feed, you know, Naomi with it. And she brings all this stuff back to Naomi. And Naomi gets she gets back there, and Naomi says, Do you know who that is? That's Boaz. He's like a relative of ours. He can be a kinsman redeemer for us. You happen to be like threshing at the one guy who like can actually save us and get our land back. And that just shows God's providence, right? What a coincidence. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> what a coincidence. I mean, she happens to follow Naomi back to Israel. There's right all these little things happen. 
Well, that's a good point, Greg, because God's not mentioned. There's no explicit saying that God is directing these circumstances, but they obviously have to all fall into place for the line of Christ to come to fruition, right? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so then there's a nifty thing where uh, Naomi says, go back to Boaz and just sleep at the foot of his bed. Don't say anything. And um, he wakes up in the middle of the night and sees it. It's like, what are you doing here? And she says, put your cloak over me, which is basically saying, marry me because you you can be my our redeemer. And then I, the other part, I need to research some more. He says, no, I can't do that because someone else has the right to it ahead of me. I'll check with them first. And if they want to, they can. But if they don't, I will redeem it. Like, I guess someone else had first dibs on the land. And he checks with that person. That person does not want it. So he marries Ruth and they have a son. And that son is David's grandfather. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, so this is uh, chapter 4, verse 16. Then Naomi took the child. Oh, wait, wait, go back. Verse 14. Then the woman said to Naomi, the mother-in-law, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a Redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the woman of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi, not Ruth, but to Naomi. Isn't that interesting? That and is named, interesting. Yeah, I'm not sure why. They said that's like this. It's uh, part of it's got Naomi's family. Um, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. You know, what strikes me about this is that God uses the most unlikely people for his purpose. I mean, throughout, oh, I mean, Ruth was poor. She was hurting. She was an outcast. She was a widow. She was an immigrant. She was a foreigner. She was a Moabite. Yeah. But through 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 her story, we learn that God uses, you know, the most unlikely people for his purpose. I mean, th think about the five women mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus. Tamar. Yeah. Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba, and Mary. Tamar resorted to trickery to bear a son. Rahab right. was a prostitute whose faith saved her from the walls of Jericho. Right. Ruth was a Moabite and a widow. Bathsheba, you know, That's only became point. David's wife after David took her for himself and killed her husband. Yeah, right. Had an affair, murdered the husband, right? Mary was a young virgin who was already engaged to Joseph when she became pregnant with Jesus. I mean, it's it's fascinating. Again, yeah. like you know, we we've we've said this before in the podcast that if you were to write the Bible, <laughs> you would never, you would never put these things in there. No, you would. If they were if they were making up a genealogy of Jesus. They would have. Yeah. They would have found different characters. They would have. Skip those ones and just not brought it. Let's not mention that. If you were to, um, if you were creating your own religion and you were trying to, you know, paint these people as heroes, you would never right. put these people in. You know, so it just it validates the stories. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's it's there because it's it really happened this way. It's really true. Yeah. Otherwise, you would never put it in there. And the fact that they even put women in the genealogies is is controversial. Yeah, right. Because they would usually wouldn't do that. 
they usually wouldn't do that. Um, yeah. It wasn't wasn't really culturally, um, you know, recognized. So, right. Um, yeah. So, I mean, what if? I mean, the Book of Ruth is. It's the Book of Ruth. Is it the Book of Ruth? Where God is God mentioned in the Book of Ruth, or is I'm thinking Esther? Esther is a book where God is not mentioned once. Okay. God's definitely mentioned here because there's like when Naomi, she says, God has dealt bitterly with me. So Naomi had That's a faith. Right. She was angry at God. She's like, you know, early in the book when they were, you know, they had the famine and they go there and all the men in her life die. She's coming back. Everyone says, oh, you're Naomi, which means peace. Don't call me Naomi. Call me what's the name? Mara or something, a different name. Because call me Mara for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity on me? And again, when you, if you were writing this, she's, would you would you have one of the characters here bad-mouthing God and then write it down? Right. I mean, it's this is not just a little, this is like when, you know, when Abraham doubts God to his face in Genesis 15, like, really? I'm going to have a, how will I know, right? You know, but this is like, she's just bad-mouthing God. He's dealt bitterly with me. You know, I mean, it does set up artistically or narratively the contrast in the end when everything turns out really well, right? So that's that's a sweetness to it at the end. But she's pretty bitter at God, you know. She, you know, she says God's dealt very bitterly with me, but she's at least she still has faith. She's that's not saying I don't believe in God. She's just saying He's dealt bitterly with me, right? So it's she doesn't walk away from God, and I think that's what clearly Ruth saw that faith in her. So. Anyway, so what you, of, well, go say what? I was going to say, well, why do you think the book of Ruth is in the Bible? Because I think it's, you know, I don't want to make too much of this because I'm just kind of studying it right now. I think it, that whole sequence of following, here's the law, obey it, make good choices. These people don't obey it. They need a redeemer. I mean, I think that, that sequence of events this, to this point is creation, fall, redemption. It's that sequence of you're not going to be faithful. I can give you the law. I can spell it out for you. I can tell you again emphatically, make good choices. And by the way, every time it goes bad for you, you know it. That cycle that happens again through Judges is over 350 years. They follow, th th things go well, and then they follow and things go badly. <clears throat> they get a judge comes up and they go do well, and they, they fall away again. So, so they have plenty of chances. You know, it's like, it's the same, but it's the same pattern we all have in our lives, Greg. Why do I still sin? When I sin, it goes badly, you know? Yeah. And I and I repent and I'm so sorry and I never want to do it again. And then I, you know, this if you it, it, the Christian life is not that single line upward trajectory of ever one one victory after the next getting better and better. It's this growing awareness of your sin and I need for a savior. That's yeah, why we, we need awesome. what I was thinking is we need a redeemer. How yeah, desperately it, we need a redeemer. And so the book of Ruth shows us Boaz is like a type of of Christ. Yes, in the sense of. You know, just like just like uh, Ruth um, and Naomi needed a redeemer, we yeah. need a redeemer. How much more do we need a redeemer? Absolutely, Ruth. Ruth is a redeemer for Naomi, and Boaz is a redeemer for both of them. Um, and then of course they they all point to the real redeemer. Both of them point to the real redeemer, which is which is coming through Ruth, through the line of David, through which is Christ. So maybe the book of ruth is intentionally 
it occurs during the time of Judges, and it's kind of separate because the book of Judges shows um, you kind of have these like heroes. You know, the judges become like heroes, but they never truly redeem. Like, I, I don't know. Maybe no, good point. Pictures, maybe, maybe. Okay, good point. I, good point. I think go with is, that. That's interesting. Well, I'm wondering, is is the book of Judges like a picture of religion? And the book of Ruth is a picture of the gospel? The, like the difference between religion and the gospel? The, the book of Ruth really shows a clear picture of redemption. Um, you know, if, uh, you know, through the gospel, real, real life change. But in the, in the book of judges, we just see temper. We just see, it's almost like religion. It is. It's a, it's a temp, right? I'm going to, I'm going to attempt once again to keep these rules and follow this. And I think I, you're starting on a guy where you start to say like these judges, people i want a hero i want a i had a really good example if only I had someone like the beginning like who yeah. will fight our battles for us if only i had a really good example another hero then i could really how many faithful. people how many people even in our day and age you know if a, a spiritual leader falls morally like their their faith is devastated it crumble that's right can't because they put their faith in that they put their faith right. in that in that leader yeah and how many right. people did the same with these judges yeah and well, it just shows you that we're just we look for things in this world to satisfy us, and uh, uh, we we're, we our default setting is religion. Yeah, and maybe that single why, line. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And I think maybe that's why they they take pains to record the flaws of these judges that they they did idol worship and they did these bad things. They were not. Because I think Ruth is like a total contrast. Like, you know, that's why even in those parallels we were reading where Judges is so dark, but Ruth is like so light. Right. That's like that's like one of the big themes of the Bible, right? Darkness and light. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. You know, religion. The Judges, like you said, their moral character stunk. Right. Like Samson's, you know, uh, I mean, these these were not... These, great example for us to follow. These were not great examples to follow. But Boaz, on the other hand, doesn't seem to have any flaws. He treats her with real tender kindness. Um, Keller brings us out when he preaches on this. And I got I want to again, I want to look at this, but like Boaz had to come up with the money to buy this field back to give it back to the family. It cost him greatly. Yeah. Is that in here? I gotta I gotta find that. But it cost him to do this. So the idea of like Boaz also points us to Christ because, you know, he had to be a redeemer, great cost to himself. Um, so I'm interested in like, when you teach this, maybe you should, maybe you should teach it as a, <laughs> maybe there's a way to teach it where you share a story in judges and then you contrast it with Ruth and then you share a story in judge and contrast it with Yeah. And, they, they, and, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Just a, it's just a thought. But uh, my worry is, I get through. You get. Look, I, I think the way I've heard this preach before, you get through this, and then you get right into tips and tricks of how we should not be like the people in judges, and we should do better. And that's the yeah. lesson. That's the big takeaway um, from the book of 
judges. I mean, I put I, I put you on the spot, but I don't want to put that on the guys' spot. I want to, I don't want to actually embarrass anybody. So the answer to that way says that's what judges are all about. Teaching us to be live better lives. And no, actually, no, I don't think so. It's the I think that's a religious way. Like you said, that's the default mode of the human heart. I want to tell me the rules and I can keep them. I'll be my own savior. I can do it. Oh, they failed. They were terrible. I wouldn't do that. I'll be I'll, I'll be much better. I'll be faithful where they were faithless. You know, yeah, you won't. You won't. You 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 it, and, and if you and if you think that's where your life is going, you are blissfully unaware of your own sin. You're way out of touch with the rea- with reality, the reality of your own sin. You need to redeem her. Yeah. I think that's good. I mean, any final thoughts you want to? I think this is a great start. Yeah, it's a good start. I got a lot of gaps to fill in. Like we uh, appreciate if uh, anyone listening to this, you know, the, the patience with it because we're just reading kind of these things raw. We do a little, you know, digging and kind of talking them through and bouncing these ideas off each other. Like I really do want to go back to Leviticus 25 and read what the Kinsman Redeemer, you know, process was all about. And, um, you know, but uh, and hopefully in a couple of weeks, some of it comes together. And for our listeners, stay tuned. We'll publish the results later. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Gospel Addict Podcast. Feel free to contact us via email at gospeladdictpodcast at gmail.com. Stay tuned for our next episode. And remember, on your worst days, you're never beyond the reach of God's grace. And on your best days, you're never beyond the need of God's grace. See you next time.